I'm sure in this room that there are leaders, many leaders in one form or another. Perhaps you own your own business and you're a leader and uh, you have to run things and you have employees and you, you, uh, you have to uh, guide them and manage them, etc. Perhaps you're a manager underneath an owner and so you manage people. Perhaps you're a teacher and uh, you're, you have to, you're leading a, a, a classroom of, of uh, 20, 30 kids. You can tell the teachers in the room, by the way, their, their smile, their summer smiles beginning to fade. Uh, we're in August now and you can, you can feel it, right? <laughs> but perhaps you, you're leading those kids. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're, uh, you're, you're leading kids in some way. But, and for most people, in some way, we're leading in, in, in some dimension. I, and, and, and maybe multi-dimensions, actually, that you may be a, an owner and a parent. And so there are many layers that we're, we lead. When we, as a pastors, we, we engage people to help us lead, uh, I, along the years, have, have reached out to those that would help lead. And uh, in our church, we uh, one of the... Uh, a leader of leaders is my friend. I see him sitting here this morning, Doug Pohl. Doug has, we've hired Doug at times in our, in our church life to, as a consultant, to come in and work with our staff and teach us how to lead more effectively. Doug is one of those guys that has read, you know, all the books on leadership and, and so my form of leadership is, you know, I've learned to, to hang out with smarter people than I am. And so that makes me a better leader to hang out with people like that. Not only that, but I, I, when I find a guy like Doug who's read all the leadership books, I'm going to uh, be smart enough to, to not read them all. I'm just going to ask him what's the best one to read. You know, save me a little time. You know what I'm talking about? So I went to Doug and I said, hey, can you tell me, you know, what, what's the best one? He said, well, at the top of my list is a book called Leadership Challenge. The Leadership Challenge. And so I began to read that book. It's an excellent book. And I knew it was the right book the moment I turned to the introduction. And the very first words in the introduction of this, of this book called The Leadership Challenge, it reads like this. Leaders get people moving. They energize and mobilize. So whether you're a teacher in a classroom, whether you are a, a manager or an owner or a parent, our job as, as leaders is not to do everything ourselves, but to engage others to, to be a team and to get things done to, to, together in and, 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 and a unified way and to encourage and to mobilize and, and engage and energize. And, and so that, that at the end of the day, the goal is to get the thing done that you set out to get done. This cannot happen without strong leadership. But being a leader and being, and I'm sure as you, wherever uh, place that you lead, whatever environment that you, in which you lead, you'll know that, that this is, this sounds good on paper, but it is extremely difficult at times to mobilize people and to get them going in the right direction. And there's a lot of reasons for that. All of us, including me, including you, there are reasons why we don't get mobilized and get engaged as much as we, we want. Sometimes we're, we're distracted. 
Now, you know, you start on the job and you start to get something and all of a sudden the phone rings or you get in, in the, you know, the boss comes in. So how come you think, well, I got this thing over here. Or sometimes you're just doodling and you're distracted by, you know, the Internet or uh, whatever those things may be. Sometimes you're just belligerent. Sometimes I am. I just don't want to do it. Whatever it is, I just I, I'm not going to do it. Sometimes we're lazy. I don't I just, I'm, don't do it because I don't feel like doing it. I'm tired and. And I can come up with a million reasons, but I'm just lazy. Sometimes we don't do it because we're procrastinators. I don't know if I would say, hey, show of hands who are procrastinators, but I won't embarrass you. Procrastinators are, you know, we wait to the last minute. I just recently read this article about multitasker procrastinators, that they're putting off a lot of things all at the same time. I thought that was pretty good. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, but it's, it was found in the ancient Hebrew scripture uh, manuscripts, why dinosaurs don't exist. People ask me this all the time. How come dinosaurs don't, you know, what happened to the dinosaurs? We're finding all these bones. I'm like, oh, it happened in the flood in Genesis chapter 6. I don't know if you knew that, but, and it was, it was because they procrastinated. And I saw a, a diagram. This is why the dinosaurs don't exist. Oh, dang, was that today? See, they put it off. They they kept thinking, you know, and so they missed the boat. And so uh, that's the, that's the consequence of procrastinating. Uh, I won't name names, but there are some people that I know that are procrastinators that I that I would give them this sign: caution. Objects in calendar are closer than they may appear. Uh, I saw a list uh, of uh, that was written by a procrastinator. Here here's the list: the top ten reasons I procrastinate. I'm going to get to that list one of these days. I just haven't quite got to the list. And finally, if you are a procrastinator, take heart because there is an organization that you can join as a procrastinator. It's Procrastinators Unite tomorrow. Of course, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it today. There are a lot of reasons why we don't get mobilized. Now, let me remind you that the reason that we're spending time in this collection called identity theft is that we often begin with feelings and those feelings then they determine our actions or our lack of actions sometimes we're afraid and we're like oh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that because that's too big and so therefore i'm not gonna act and then at the end of the day i then use the the, my actions or lack of actions as my identity i'm a coward or maybe I'm, I'm too lazy. I'm not going to do it so that I don't feel like doing it. So I don't do it. And at the end of the day, I identify myself as someone who's lazy or, or, or not getting the job done. What we're learning in this collection is that the Bible gives us an identity from God. God identifies us in different ways. And if we're willing to believe and embrace that identity of who we are in God, that also will determine our actions But those actions will be much more effective. In other words, as we looked last week, if we see ourselves as victims, then we'll act like victims and then eventually we'll identify ourselves as victims as opposed to the scripture identifies us as victors. In other words, that Christ has already won against a lot of odds. And in Christ, we we are more than conquerors. And if we embrace that, then no matter how we feel, our actions are going to follow that. If, in fact, we let that identity permeate who we are. It's tough because human beings are often driven by those emotions. And we have to set them aside, let them come last and embrace the identity. 
If we embrace the identity, our actions will follow. But we also understand that we're in the tension of a battlefield that our enemy, who could care less about us personally, but cares about the advancement of the kingdom of God, will do everything he can to stop that advancement, that action that advances the kingdom. And therefore, one of his greatest tools of attack is to attack our identity in Christ. And if he can get on the inside and begin to attack that, and then we begin to disable ourselves, then mission accomplished for him. So it's a worthy conversation of having because we are put on this planet for a reason, and it's not just to eat, drink, and be merry. We are created in Christ to do, to accomplish good works that he has already assigned for us and designed for us to do. The challenge is that the mobilization of our actions is sometimes tough. I know as being a pastor of many years, to come to people and say, man, I think, I think you could do this and, and to see the, the paralyzation and, and the immobilizing that they, they feel, that they, they feel like they're unable. But then I take heart when I look at Christ's life and see that he faced the exact same thing. There was a moment where Christ turned to a group of people beyond the 12 disciples, 72 in fact, we're told. And, and he said, I'm gonna, I'm going to infuse you into the task. I'm gonna have you be engaged in the action. It is a tremendous and bewildering fact that sometimes that God, He could have come down and Christ could have said, I'll just take, I'll take it from here. You guys are incapable of getting the job done. I'm God. I, and I'll do a perfect job at everything. Instead, he said, no, I'm going to engage you. I'm still bewildered by that fact. After being many years as a Christian, I'm still bewildered that the plan is we're going to use us. But he did. But he warned us about the, the power, the power, excuse me, of being immobilized, of, of being inactive, of being disabled. So we turn today to Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. When Christ is getting ready to send out these 72 people in pairs. Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. In other words, you guys are going to be the prelude before. You're going to be the overture before I get there. This is the job. But then he looked at them and said, now... This is an epic task that I'm given to you. The harvest is plentiful. The opportunities are right in front of you. Jesus is saying, I'm basically teeing it up for you. It's right there. But there's a problem. The workers are few. Jesus is saying, I'm trying to find more people who will be active and not just consumers. I'm looking for people who will be engaged, who will take their foot off the brake pedal and put it on to the gas pedal. The workers are few, he said. Ask the Lord. Pray about this. The Lord of the harvest, therefore, for more workers, for more mobilization, for more action. Pray for that to send workers out into this opportunity to harvest field. Now, before you go, let me warn you before you go. This epic task 
is also mixed with an epic battle. You have an enemy. He's a wolf and you're a sheep. He said, go, get into action. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And we all know that the enemy of a sheep is a wolf because a wolf does not just seek to be an enemy. A wolf seeks to consume and, and to take out. Now, for some of you, this whole concept of a spiritual battle going on seems like a sci-fi movie. I understand. It's a little bit intense. But the more you live the Christian journey, the closer you get to God, the more you try to put it in action, you will now know that it is never, it's not just a theory. It's not just folklore. It's not a spiritual concept, but it's a reality. Now, if you're not doing anything, if you have no concept of action, if you don't want to move forward, if you don't want to advance the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness, most likely you will not feel the heat and the concept, the reality, I should say, of the spiritual battle will be a foreign one to you. The more we get engaged into trying to advance the kingdom, the more heat we feel from the battle. So it might be as we begin this morning for you to take inventory. You think, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. It might be. It might be that you're not leaning forward in advancing the kingdom. And that's why the whole issue and the whole reality of spiritual warfare seems completely foreign and absent or cold in your life. Those times when I'm not pushing forward, I, I, I wouldn't even know there's a battle going on. And so th these are moments for us to ask questions. God is saying, Christ is saying here, man, I need more workers. I need more, I need more of the army. I need more soldiers to be engaged. But there is a, there is a challenge. And as I have talked to people over the years, trying to engage them and as a leader, mobilize them. There are many reasons. I've already mentioned some, sometimes belligerence, sometimes laziness, sometimes procrastination. All of us have certain things like that. But there is one thing that, that paralyzes I believe followers of Christ more than any other. And I believe that, that even the things we've talked about, the laziness, the disobedience, the belligerence, the procrastination, all that, they stem from this thing. Because the thing that we're going to talk about this morning is something very inner, something very deep, something that, that, that sometimes only you know about. It's that thing that is hard to confess to another person. And that thing is, what I'm calling today the, the able component. That I don't feel able. I don't feel like I have the capacity to do what God has asked me to do. And that's a hard thing to confess to another person. That the assignment that God has given to us for another, uh, for one human being to say to another one, yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think I've got what it takes. We're uh, in our men's groups. We study this. It's the question that haunts every man. Do I really have what it takes? And so for us as men, it's hard to, to say that out loud. And so we act like we have what it takes. I'll never forget the time in high school. My mom drove me to this place. I was, I was interviewing for a job and uh, I wasn't even driving yet. So I was, I guess I was 15 and the, and the job was to be a tennis uh, pro to teach others how to play tennis. And on the way home, my mom says, Steve, I got a question for you. Do you know how to play tennis? I said, no, but I can learn. I, I just had that much stupidity and ego about me. And I'm like, I, anybody, you know, you just hit the ball over in that, and then I can teach other people how to do that. 
but I wasn't willing to to say to the person in the interview, I, you know, I don't, I'm not able to do this. Of course, I'm trying to get paid eight bucks an hour, whatever it was, probably three bucks back an hour back then. <laughs> and so we reach this, this impasse sometimes. Now, if you're feeling this, if you don't feel it, if you, if you're saying, yeah, I never felt really like I'm unable to do something, then now we're going to have a sermon on honesty. So you, you got to be honest. But if you've ever felt that you're you're among a host of people, just think of anybody. Just pick, I mean, almost thumb through the Bible and pick somebody. Moses, when he was tapped by God, like, I'm unable. I I, I don't have the capacity. Gideon, mighty warrior. Nope, don't know. Abraham, I am not able to have children. I'm too old. There were reasons down deep, but they... They all stem back from this sense of like, I'm not able. Peter, I'm not able, as we're going to look at today. I'm not able to do this. And so the reason that we have this conversation today is that I know so many of us, if not all of us, have those moments where we say, I can't get the thing done for God because I'm not able. And because we embrace those feelings rather than our identity in God, then we shut down and the wolf at the end of the day wins rather than saying, okay, let me re-engage and re-identify myself in God. Our key verse today is found in Philippians chapter 4. It, it demands some explanation. It's a popular verse that we often quote as Christians. And it, and it identifies us in such a way that we are enabled by the strength of Christ. It reads this way. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, let's take note of what it's not. Paul, the writer, is not saying, I can do all things without the strength of Christ. I can do all things. He's not being mighty mouse here or mighty man or Hercules. He's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I would say that the intent of Paul is not that I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me because we can't forget that the rest of the Bible says that God gifts certain people in certain ways. I look at these two guys up here singing, man, I've always wanted to sing. I honestly, I took four years of voice lessons and and, and it sounds like a joke, but it's a reality. I got worse every year I took. (laughs) And I thought, well, if I keep going, it's just going to be even more worse. So I quit taking voice lessons. I can't do things that God doesn't want me to do. In other words, I can do all things. I can now preach. I can sing. I can, you know, do this, that, and the other. We can't get away from the fact that God has skilled us. So let me say that when Paul is writing this, what he is saying is I can do all things that God has uniquely assigned to me through the strength that he gives me to do them. Can I say that again? I can do all things... Through the things that Christ has uniquely assigned to me through the strength that he's able to give. I'll remind us that Moses wasn't called to Nineveh. He was called to take people out of Egypt. Peter was not called to Antioch. He was called to Jerusalem. You could just go through every single person who was called and they would say, I can do the thing that God has called me to do. By the strength that God gave me to do it. This is true for leadership. Not everyone is a leader. Not everyone meets the criteria of a leader. 
Every, the Bible is very clear that some people are amazing followers. We need followers. We need mid-level leaders. We need executive leaders in the church of Christ. That's the way God has designed it. But I am a true, I am a true believer that God who created, who now created a lot more than seven billion people, but created billions of people that each of us have a unique fingerprint. Is that stunning? I mean, I know that we know that fact, but sometimes you have to remind yourself of the stunning facts of creation, that 7 billion people walk the planet and there is a unique uh, fingerprint to each of us. That's why we can have an iPhone and nobody can get in it. How many snowflakes have, have, have been dropped to the earth and all of creation? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trillion bajillion gajillion and not one of them are the same what am i saying that for i'm saying it for this that if god is that ingenious with creation and that unique and that specific and that detailed don't think for a minute that he doesn't have a detailed specific intentional plan for your life and just the moment that you've disqualified yourself is the exact same moment for god to say don't forget I am intimately involved here, and the thing that I've assigned you to do, you can do all those things through Christ who strengthens you. It's a great, it's a great identity to embrace. But there are things that get in the way of that identity. And that's what we're talking about this morning. A long list of reasons. Why is it that we sometimes feel that I'm not able. Well, let's just look at a short list. Maybe the big ones today. Here's the first one. And it's a deep one. And it's a common one. It's you, it's, it permeates every single person. It's, and it's this. There are times, multiple times, many times. It's not uncommon for us to feel that I'm unable to get the thing done that God has uniquely assigned for me to get done because of my own failures, my own sin, my own mistake, my own closet with skeletons. There's not been a man who, or a woman who God's called who didn't surface this issue. Moses among them. In Exodus chapter 3, God calls Moses. Now here's a man who for 40 years had been on the, had been on the run. Here's a man that there is one movie playing over and over in his mind from age 40 to age 80. Not four days, not four weeks, not four months, not four years, but four decades there had been a movie playing in Moses' mind. You are a murderer. You see, he murdered someone and he ran. He was a fugitive. And back, and then what he did was he disqualified himself. He, he disabled himself. He unplugged himself and said, because of this, how could God ever use me? Have you ever been there? As there are times in your life. And I think, oh, you, are you talking about 15 years ago? You might be saying, no, I'm talking about 15 minutes ago. The thought I'd like to come up there and knock you out. Maybe that was your thought, you know, whatever it might be. I can't believe that I had that thought last Thursday. I can't believe that me as a Christian would have that thought. I can't believe that me, that me who's been following Christ all this time had this moment of just nasty ego. The selfishness. Because see, I know me a lot more than you know me. 
You look at me. This is Sunday morning, Steve. But I got my own set of junk in my own private mirror. Let's be honest, just like you do. And if we're not careful, that comes to the forefront and disables us. Moses, like I'm a murderer. That's been the movie playing over my head. God couldn't use me. I'm a quitter. I'm a runner. I left my family. I left everything. I just, I'm out of here. I'm an apathetic. I'm in 40, 40 uh, uh, years in a, in, in a back uh, something, quadrant or whatever. I, I, I've been out of the game and I took myself out of the game. And then God looks at him and said, I pick you. And Moses says to him in verse 11, but Moses says, who am I? That I should go. God, you know my junk, right? You know my stuff. You know my stank, right? You know my sin. You know my failures. God, I'm not able. I'm not able. It shuts us down when we think about it. Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of, out, out of Egypt? You remember when Christ approached and introduced himself to, to Peter? He'd been fishing all night. You remember the story? And Jesus came along and said, hey, why don't you throw it on the other side of the, 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 the boat? You can feel Peter's eyes rolling like, oh, yeah, who was this guy? No. And then they brought up more fish than they can handle. And the light bulb came on like, wow, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in that moment. Do you remember his words? Peter didn't say, wow, I'm ready. Sign me up. Ready to go. I am able. Peter said he fell to his knees, at Je- fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am unable. I'm a sinful man. You have no idea. of my junk, Jesus. My, my, my filth, myself. All that hidden stuff that just seems to create feelings in us that scream to us from the voice of a wolf. You are disqualified. See, there are many identities of our enemy. One of them is he's called the accuser of the brethren. That he comes along and says, oh, now now we're finally in agreement. You are unable. And he will devour Isaiah was called of God, just this amazing, can't even humanly picture this amazing, the glory of God came to Isaiah. There were angels around, and, and, when, and when Isaiah realized that he was in the presence of the living God in chapter 6 and verse 5 of Isaiah, he says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. Think about that, I am ruined. For those that come to God and they say, God, there's no way he could... Accept me. I'm unable to even be used. You're in in good company. Isaiah says, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. In all of these cases, and we could spend all morning looking at the cases of how our past and our sin and our fractures and our failures have caused us to feel like we're unable. And then God enters into our arena And he says, I am going to re-identify you. I'm going to give you a new ID card. Because see, you're only thinking from your own self. God comes along and says, I want to re-identify who you are. 
Let's take Isaiah, for example. Isaiah was at the temple right here in chapter 6. And in the temple, there were these, there was this place where they brought the sacrifices and then this, and, and they, the sacrifices would, would burn up. They would be consumed. It was a picture that God, the perfect judge, would not just you know, let your sin go. He just wasn't going to overlook it because he's the nice man upstairs. He's a perfect and holy judge. He says, I must penalize your sin, but I'm not going to penalize you because I'm also perfect in compassion. So I'm going to take a soulless animal and I'm going to put him on this fire, a picture of Christ in the future, in the future time. And he says, I'm not going to overlook your sin. I'm going to consume it so it doesn't exist anymore. As a symbol, when Isaiah said, God, I'm unable, my lips are unclean. An angel reached down into the altar of God, picked up a coal, which represented the force that would consume the sacrifice. It is so amazing. The pictures in the Bible, he picks up the coal and the angel touches it to his unclean lips. The thing that he identified as disqualifying him for the task that God gave him to do. And the angel took that burning coal in verse 7. And with it, the burning coal, he touched Isaiah writing in first person. He touched my mouth and he said to me, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is not overlooked. Your guilt is not excused. Your guilt is taken away. Whoa! We can have another worship service. It's a new identity. You no longer have Velcroed to your soul, your past. God has ripped it from you, given you a new identity in Christ. And he said, and your sin is atoned for. That's a fancy word for the perfect, holy Judge, his appetite for justice had been satisfied. And on that, I say we answer our phones. If that's God calling, tell him, uh, ask him if we're on track here. (laughs) Just stomp it. It will go (laughs) away. That's all right. In this moment... (laughs) That is the longest ring up. <laughs> That's all right, sweetie. I'm playing with you. In this moment, Isaiah got a new identity. He embraced his identity, and therefore he went into action. You see, he wanted to shut it down right away. I can't. I'm not going to move any further. I, I'm out. God said, no, 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 no. I got a new identity. So Watch. Here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, how about you? You may say, how about me? Well, watch this. If you're a believer in Christ, this applies to you. Are you ready? No matter when you did it, no matter what you did. Could have been 10 minutes ago. It could have been 13 years ago. 13 minutes, 13 days ago. It doesn't matter when. Listen carefully talked to too many people that thought they had crossed the line of no return and it doesn't matter what let me tell you why first second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 
if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old is not overlooked. The old is not excused. The old is, will you say it with me? Gone. The old is gone. It is no longer on your ID card. It is not there. You cannot find it. You can look. You can try to dig. It will try to yell at you. But when you look at your identity in Christ, the new has come and the old has gone. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave to us the epic task the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Watch here it is not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, which is still crazy in our minds. And here it comes our ID. It's the big words in the scripture. We are therefore, therefore, Everything that God has set up to this point in this passage. In other words, you got a clean slate. The old is gone. The new has come. Your new creation. You got a new ID. Sin is no longer in your car. Therefore, for all those reasons, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God, the living God of this universe, were making his appeal through us. Welcome to your new identity. Amen. See, for that reason, if you embrace it, you think, Okay, then I am able and my sin and my past are no longer on my resume. That should enable you to get it going. Now listen, if you are in a steady pattern of a particular sin, God wants to deal with that in your life because you'll be even more usable But let me say to you that when we get stuck in these habits and patterns of sin, it doesn't mean we're totally unusable. I may be struggling with overeating, but it doesn't mean I can't talk to someone about something else. The accuser says, oh, you're struggling with this? You're out. No. That's not God. How do I know? Because he used broken people who were still trying to figure it out. Our qualities, our, our qualifications are not built on our perfect, our human perfection. If it is, we might as well just get in our cars and go home. I read a great article about mentors. And when we look at a mentor, sometimes we think, well, you don't have it together in that area, so I can't hear, any, I, I can't hear anything you're saying. That's not true. The, the people that mentor me have got plenty of fractures, plenty of things that are not perfect yet, but I glean from them the things that are really strong. Does that make sense? So our sin does not make us unable. Here's another one for you. Our skill set. You see, Moses, as you know, said, I I don't have the skill set for the assignment you're asking. Don't you ever feel like when you look back, you feel like really stupid. You've said something to God. There are plenty of things I'm like, I just said that to God out loud. That's really stupid. As if if as if God, you know, when Moses said uh, he said in Exodus chapter four, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, 
you've asked me to speak, God, but Lord, I've, I've never been eloquent and, and neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Some people believe that he had a, an impediment of some type or a disability of some type or whatever it may be. He's just saying, I don't have that in my skill set. As if when we say those things to God, because he's uniquely assigned this this task to Moses, as if we say those things out loud to God and God would say, you know, we would expect God to say, oh, oh, right, I forgot. I'm sorry. Why did I even ask you? Yeah. Let me go to Bob over here who speaks wonderfully. We understand that God could have spoke, could have chosen Aaron because from all indicators, he really could speak well. But instead he asked Moses to do it. And there's a reason. I'm not going to say something that's a little odd to hear in church. Because in our church culture in America these days, we emphasize, boy, this is your gift set. We take spiritual gift inventories. We take skill set inventories and whatnot. Great. Glad you're, I, 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 you should use the gifts that God has given to you. But I do believe that God intentionally says, well, you're not good at this. This is out of your comfort zone. And I, I, I'll be asking you to do that because I want you to grow in that area. And it is my proposal to us this morning that it is easy to hide under the cover of our skill set. And if we do hide under the, the cover of our skill set, you know, here's what can happen so very subtly and insidiously. Pride. Oh, I do it well. <laughs> I do it very well. <laughs> so I shall keep doing it. Why on earth did God pick the guy who couldn't speak well? Why? I'll tell you why. Because he knows how weak we are and how fragile and given to pride and ego. And God understands that we can't save anybody. And if we point people to ourselves, they'll be lost for eternity. And he's trying to point them to the only one who can save them for eternity. And he needs for us to be used. But get out of the way so we can point to him. So I'll pick my boy Moses because he doesn't speak well. Because when he does, we'll all understand, wow, that was God. And I need him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5. Tremendous verse. Now that we, now that we are competent, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Enough said. Enough said. God reminded Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, the Lord said to him, can I remind you something there, Mo? Who gave man his mouth? I did. Who makes him deaf or mute? I did. Who gives him sight or makes him blind? I did. Is it not I, the Lord? Now you go, Moses, and I will enable you. I will teach you. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And when we do that, when God assigns us that thing, we're like, ah, oh, man, this is going to be a little rough. 
I got to go over here and do that. God says, bingo. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. God would say, spike it now. That's a touchdown if you missed it. Don't allow yourself to be shut down when you sense that God has asked you to do something that, you've con- that you believe you can't do. Finally, I've saved the biggest one for the end. The most popular one, the most common one. See, I believe that there are things in the scriptures that that God gifts people to do. But there are other things that he gives us to do that none of us, if you're a disciple of Christ, are exempt from. None of us are exempt from sharing our faith. Now, as I've told you, I'm married to the female version of Billy Graham. This past week, we have day camp going on for the kids. My wife's got a a van full of boys. Two from Indonesia, two from India, one from a Hindu family and our boys. You see, she grew up on the mission field. Her heart never left the mission field. You see, when I look at that, I think, wow, I, I, I don't have that skill set. And then what happens is we fall into what I'm going to call the sin of comparison. Oh, man, I'm a loser, dude. Now, see, some people may do it more naturally, but there's some things that it doesn't matter how we do it, we do it. We learn to do it better, but... Sharing our faith is one of them. Here's another one. Discipling one another. When Christ said, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples, I see no exemption clause in that statement. Except you and you and you and you. And if you're like this, no, no. It's everybody to make disciples. So where am I going? When I've asked people to do those tasks, to mobilize them, to energize them, to engage them, man, share your faith a little more. Or eventually you could be discipled and become a disciple maker. This is the most popular disabling comment response to that I get. I don't know enough. I don't know the Bible all that well. In other words, knowledge, a lack of knowledge. I hear it over and over and over and over. And it's all because we've created. Here's where it's going to get a little tough and a little hot in here today. It's because in the American church church culture, which I love, we've created a consumeristic environment. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is we formed ourselves in groups, which are good. Bible studies, small groups, etc. Most churches have them. And then the expert teaches the group while the rest of us take notes and have identified ourselves as never being that. It's Bible Bob who can find Hosea right now. <laughs> Somebody, like, dude, I didn't even know there was Hosea in the Bible. <laughs> you can find the book of Ecclesiastes. Yes, there it is. 
with no tabs. I'm <laughs> oh, not sure I even know how to spell Ecclesiastes. It's got two L's or two C's. I'm not quite sure. Boy, I'll never be like Bob. And we disable ourselves. I listened to 15 minutes of Ravi Zacharias. I'm wondering what in the world I'm doing in this profession. I go back and listen to, I watch the YouTube videos of Billy Graham, man, preaching his heart out. Oh, my goodness. In Los Angeles, of all places, stadiums packed full of people. The Spirit of God undeniably on that man. I look at him and I fall into the sin of comparison and I say to God, I am unable. God looks at us and said, I'm not using you in L.A. in a stadium, Steve. I'm using you on the corner of McIntosh and Ashton. Get over yourself. And we become, we like, I don't have this vast knowledge, this library. And in the consumeristic culture that we've created, we at 360 and other churches too are growing to this, this place. We're breaking those consumeristic chains by, by, by this, by this, um, uh, this, direction and it's this instead of having groups with experts teaching the groups what we say we're going to break out from that group and do one-to-one discipleship and you get to play in the game you don't have to be an expert to play in the game you are called to disciple there's no exemption clause so you i've looked at so many men and women in the face and said so you can pour into another person and immediately they say i can't I don't know enough. Moses went to God and he said that he, he was honest with him. Why not be? In Exodus chapter 3 and verse, te- verse 13, Moses said to God, what if they ask me a question? And I don't know the answer. That's it. There it is right there, right? Nobody wants to... What if I talk to a Muslim and he asks me how the Bible compares to the Quran. I've never asked the Quran. I've never read the Quran. I'm going to be a fool, so I better not go. I better not say anything. Now listen carefully. I study the Bible a lot. This is not more this is not about Bible Bob, it's about us comparing ourselves. I wish we had more Bible Bobs to use as a prototype. I wish we had more people who studied, who knew the word of God. I'm I'm a full believer if you know the more You've spent time, the more he can use you in different areas. So it's not against that. What I'm saying is for those who are growing, who may see themselves at a 101 level or 201 level, you're not, you're not disqualified. You're not disqualified. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the the God of your fathers have sent me and they ask me, what is his name? Then what do I tell them? God, I, I don't even, I haven't even seen your name tag. And I, I'm supposed to go out there and talk about you. I'm supposed to know a lot about the Bible. I call myself a Christian. I don't even know, I, I don't even know where to go. And different verses, you can work on that, by the way. But it doesn't shut you down at that point. We don't need to be a scholar. In fact, I'm, I'm always engaged and encouraged by Acts chapter 4. Verse 12, the people, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary 
men without a seminary degree or a string of letters behind their name. They were astonished and took note, not because of what they knew, but because they had spent time with Jesus. I don't know many people along the many years who have been trans, had had their lives transformed because Steve's vast library of knowledge. That's not what changes lives. But in a culture where information is premium because we're permeated by it, we're often impressed by it to the point that we now identify ourselves as losers. And once again, one score for the wolf. One score for the wolf. Exodus chapter 3, Moses went to God and he said, I, I don't even know your name. What do I say? God said, let me just give you what you need to know. That's all I'm going to do. So here's what you tell him, Moses, in verse 14. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you, the God of the universe. God also said to Moses, they'll know this. They understand history. Go to them and say to the Israelites, the Lord, your God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Here's what God didn't say to Moses. He didn't say, now, what you're also going to need to know is the eschatology of this whole deal, that in the end times when you struck the rock and the water came out, now that's going to be a picture. Now, the end times when they come, that Christ is going to come, and he's going to save people like he saved you. Now, what you need to know also, and to tell them, make sure you tell them. You take a note to Moses, make sure you tell them that when you, they're going to have this thing called a Passover feast, you'll know anything about it now, but you will then. I know, am I being too confusing, Moses? And then when you get there, this, this Passover lamb is going to be a representative of the Messiah who's going to eventually come. And he's going to take the sins of the world away. Now, it's going to be on a cross. Now, are you, are you tracking with me? God doesn't do that, thankfully. He said, look, tell him my, ma- my name is God. And then we'll take it after that. How many times have I said, God, I'm not able. I, I don't know what to say that when you get in the situation, either God will say it or he'll bring you to a place of humility by saying, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll, I'll check into it for you but I'm not going to be disabled. All right. Now watch this. Paul, who knew a lot, had studied the scriptures. I would, I would venture to say we could say he was an expert in the Bible and the Old Testament at that time. An expert. He goes through his resume at times like, wow, dude. I guess knows his stuff. But he gives his resume to Timothy in his last letter in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he says, let me tell you my resume. Let me tell you the, the reason that God has made me able. And this is where I want to empower those of you that have unplugged yourself because you've identified yourself as unable because you don't know enough about the Bible. And although we, we should learn about the Bible, we should study the Bible I got I'm telling you that there is another commodity that you have that Paul hits. Watch this. It's brilliant on his part. Second Timothy chapter three and verse 10. Paul says, you know all about my teaching. 
right? You got that down. I know the Bible. I know the Old Testament. I got it down. But he doesn't stop there. He then begins to list the commodities, the assets that he has that each of you have that are some some of these you have. He says, you know about my teaching, but here's the other thing. You know about my way of life. You've seen how God has changed me. You remember how I used to be that and now I'm not. That's God. See, it's not just because I, I know this much, but it's my way of life. You know how I used to be selfish and Paul could say, you remember how I used to kill people and now I don't? That's a pretty good change, pretty obvious. You remember how I used to fly off the handle and now I don't? See, that's my way of life. Timothy, you know all about this. You know my purpose. You know how everything I do is about God. What an asset. That people seeing that purpose of God in your life is so much more than you can quote 57 Bible verses. That's what brings on transformation. My purpose, my faith. You remember when those people hated me? I had patience with them. Did you see that? See, that's not me. Paul said, you know about my love, you know about my endurance, you know about my persecutions, you know about my sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in these three cities, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from every single one of them. Here's what you have that is an asset, regardless of what level of knowledge you you possess, you have life change. You have experience. You have many different things in your life. So watch this. Why would God pick a Moses? Let me tell you why I think he did. You might remember that the name Moses basically means rescued. It means drawn out. Because when he was a baby, when he was an infant, you remember the the head honcho in Egypt was getting uptight, nervous that the Israelites were growing like weeds. And to cut back on that, he launched a campaign to kill all the babies two years uh, old and younger. Moses was rescued from that. Remember, put in the little boat, put him, put him to the, the river. He was rescued. So here's the man that I'm guessing as he grew up, his family told the story over and over and over. It was because it was a story of intrigue and there was different angles, a lot of moving parts. We don't have time to go into it. But tell me the story of how I was rescued again. It must have been a popular bedtime story for Moses. Tell, tell me that story again because, see, it was a, his identity. He was rescued. That was his identity. That was on his ID card. Moses, drawn out. That's what it means. He rescued. So it was natural for him that one day when he looked out and he saw a an Egyptian in a very cruel way abusing one of his Hebrew brothers that he stepped in and he rescued the guy. Okay, he went a little too far. He killed him. But <laughs> that's, in the, that's in the footnote of the story. And maybe it was self-defense. We don't know. But he rescued the guy. And then shortly after that, he saw two of his Hebrew brothers fighting. You remember that? And he went out and he said, stop it. I got to rescue you from this. You see, his identity was a rescuer. He had been rescued, so he became a rescuer. And so he, he stepped into the middle of these guys, and that's when they say, well, you're going to kill us like you did the guy, you know, the guy you did the other day. And I was like, wow, i got to get out of here, right? He went into a foreign country where the Midianites lived. 
The first scene and and that act when he gets into to that country, these five uh, women come to to the well, and they're trying to get water. But the bad guys in the story, they keep chasing them off, and they can't get the very thing that they need for existence. So guess what Moses does? He rescues them. He's a rescuer. See, <laughs> hmm. this is part of his resume. Not. His knowledge. Watch this. Exodus chapter 2 verse 17. Some shepherds came along and they drove these ladies away where they couldn't even get sustenance their water. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. So now God is in heaven. He's got a man who's, a, who's been rescued. That's his ID. He has a pattern of rescuing others. And many times out of Moses' own mouth, after he moved and lived with the Midianites and married a Midianite woman out of his own mouth, he said, I understand what it means to be a foreigner. God looks from heaven to earth, sees his own people in a foreign country living as unwelcome foreigners who needed to be rescued. Hmm. Now let's see. Who could I pick? Who knows the knowledge? Who's got vast libraries of knowledge? Because boy, that could really do the trick. No, I'm going to pick a man who in his identity understands that he has been rescued and has got experience in rescuing others and understands how hard it is to live in an unwelcomed community, and that's the guy I'm going to use. God is so intimately brilliant with us. He knows exactly what you've been through. So I got this friend. Let me, let me close with this picture. I got this friend. His name is Jonathan. Jonathan is an amazing musician. He's a woodwind player. That means he a wind player. He plays flute and piccolo and clarinet and saxophone, the soprano sax, the tenor sax, the alto sax, the berry sax. He plays the whole nine yards. And I played with him because of my, my background is music. I played with him on the East Coast in music theater. The directors could always save a lot of money with Jonathan because he had all those instruments in front of him and he could multitask and it was amazing. Years ago, oh gosh, it's probably been uh, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, Jonathan said, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot, I'm going to go to New York City, I'm going to try to be a musician in, in, in Broadway, and he did, and he's made it, he plays in all the big shows, and so when you're playing in music theater, you have two days that are called doubles, that means you play a two o'clock show and you play a, an eight o'clock show. And every musician would say, yeah, doubles, that's a tough day because you're already whipped from doing one show at 2 o'clock and then now it's about 4 o'clock and now you got to, you got what's called your call. That means you got to be in place at around 6.30 or so for the 8 o'clock show. Now you got this kind of limbo time in between. You think, I don't know what to do. I'll just stick around or do something, right? There's this, there's this kind of time. So years ago, he said, so in that he was playing in the show Les Mis and he he said, in, in between doubles, on the day of doubles, I, I just started walking the streets of New York City. And I began to walk from, you know, this side to the river and back and whatnot. And then after a while, after a number of, uh, of uh, you know, walks and, and these shows, I ran out of blocks. I'd already covered all these blocks. 
So he said, then it just hit me. He said, I'm going to make a goal for myself. And I'm going to map out a grid of Manhattan. And I'm going to make it my goal to walk every city block in Manhattan. Two days ago on Facebook, I see this picture with this caption. I did it. He's walked every block, every single block in the city of Manhattan. I thought, man, that's really impressive. And it got me to thinking about us. You see, there are blocks that some of you, all of us, have walked. There are blocks. I'm looking around the room. I'm trying to hold it together. Because I know some of the blocks that some of you have walked. That are walking right now. There are blocks that we have walked. That have been tough. May I say to you. That God uses that. And makes you able. To help someone else. Who's lost. In that block. Right now. And that block that you've walked. Trust me. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you can memorize. It says as a Christian, you can say, hey, I've walked that block. Can I walk it with you? Can I walk it with you? So let me tell you the new dimension that we're moving to in 360. And we've been test casing it for a while. And it's, it is so moving. We believe that relationships are important to God and therefore should be important to us. Four or five years ago, we looked at ourselves and said, you know what? We're going out in the community. Many of you have heard me say it over and over. Going out in the community, we're doing all these wonderful things, very nice one-time hits, you know, going out, giving out stuff and whatnot. Meanwhile, Joe's sitting on row four going through the worst block of his life. But we're busy. But he's dying. He's lost. He's wandering in a block. So we said, let's stop it. There's a word for that. Inauthentic. We want to be authentic. And eventually now we're getting back into the community. But we want to solidify ourselves here within the four walls. So we said, let's, let's stop the action. Because sometimes you're so busy and you don't stop the treadmill. So you can never take care of Joe. And Joe is lost and dying. Saying, screaming, can someone walk with me on this block? But we're giving out a sandwich, Joe. Sorry, can't get to you. And so we said, let's take it to another intentional layer. And it all started with a widow who came to us and said, you know, I had to downsize. And man, that was tough. This is the home I love. And if there's ever any other widow that, that is going through that, here's my number. So we began to test this out. We began to, when someone was, had gone through a hard block, we said, hey, can we confidentially keep your name and number so that when someone else is walking through that same block, can, you, can we call on you to go over here to this block and walk? 
keep, no one's turned us down, by the way. No one's turned us down. We feel honored like Moses. Are you talking to me? Do you know the movie that's been playing in my mind? I thought I was, I thought I was disabled. And you're going to use me? So it's, it's not only that the person who's receiving the, you know, the support, man, there's some jazz, but it's also for all the Moseses sitting in this room who have unplugged yourself because you've identified yourself as being unusable. It's jazz. So what we're, we always start with our act groups because we are demanded by Scripture to engage people that we can observe up close. That is not our rule. It's God's rule. That's why, that's why I say, man, get in that group. There's jazz in the relationships. There's jazz in the conversation. But there's jazz in serving one another. That's why we do it. Not to be exclusive at all. But to say, that, man, we, now we, we know you and we can use you and we can put you over here. That's why we do it. So, man, get in that group. I can't say it enough. And, and, and I don't think you'll be sorry. And some people are like, ah, I've looked at the list. I don't know. Don't worry. You know why I get in a group? Because there's people in the group. I'm in a wall group. Honestly, I don't like the wall. I, I honestly don't. I, my heart elevates. It makes me nervous. I'm scared. I, you know, I'm not an athlete. I never go like, yippee, get to climb a wall. It's never, ever. But I love those men in that group. I love those men. So I don't care if it was a cooking class or a chasing cat. Okay, I wouldn't do that one. But <laughs> Killing cats. I would be that. Offend it. Half the room. That's awesome. So we're engaging people in our small groups. And, and if you're in a small group, you're going to be hearing from me. I'm going to send out an email. And I'm going to allow you the opportunity to contact confidentially our, uh, one of our pastors, Jim Childs, and say, here's a block I've walked. And if you ever have anybody walking in this block, here's my number. Here's my number. Now let me tell you something. I put this into action about two hours ago. A very, very, very close friend of mine of many, many years has struggled unbelievably with addiction. He was here this morning. There's another man in our, in our church and in this room right now. And I went to him and I said, I know you've been through this and I know God brought you through it. You went through rehab. You took the tough steps. Very difficult. Will you walk that block with somebody else? Tears in his eyes. He said, I feel honored. I feel honored. I say, yeah, we're here right now. Can we go? Yeah, let's go. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. But you have to identify yourself. Through Christ, I can do all assignments that he's given to me through his strength. Father, 
how much we need you. To one degree or another, God, we're all like Moses. God, we feel that at times our past, our brokenness, our fractures, our mistakes, our potholes, our dirt, our ruin disables us, God, from being used. What a lonely place. What a place of uselessness that we feel. For some, like Moses, it goes on for years and years and years until you come along, God. And you look squarely in our eyes and you say, I've made you clean and old things have passed away. I pray, God, today that you would you would inaugurate that in the hearts of, of those sitting here today who've convinced themselves that they are not able because of their sin or their past. I pray, God, today that you will convince them that they'll never humanly be good enough. I pray, God, that you will convince us, God, that you did not Merely overlook our sin, God, but you took it away. It is no longer on our ID card. And for those Moseses who are walking in a lonely wilderness, God, I pray that the fire of the burning bush will ignite and kindle something new in them today. I pray for a willingness on our part, God, to step outside those things we feel so comfortable in doing, to listen intently for the call to those places, those people to which we feel like we're not able, so that we in turn can give you glory, not because of our competence, God, but because of yours through us. And finally, I pray, God, that all of every single one of us, no matter what age, no matter how long we've walked with you, oh, our knowledge will always be deficient. God, help us not to lean on that like a cane or a crutch as an excuse to disable ourselves, to unplug, to compare ourselves with those around us that seem to know the scripture so well and so uh, can speak so eloquently about it. Thank you for those who have studied and, and, and know the word, God, but help us not to put ourselves in an unusable category and sequester ourselves from being used, but rather, God, to look at the grid, the map of our life, and to look at those blocks that we've walked, that have been so terribly difficult and be willing to use those, those blocks, God, in, in, in support of other people 
within the four walls here in this church. I pray for willingness. I pray for courage. I pray for humility, God. We understand that there is a wolf who seeks to devour us, God. May we today embrace our identity in you. That for every assignment, God, we will say back to the enemy today that through Christ and through his strength, we can do all things. And we pray this in the name of of Christ who makes us able. Amen.